After playing Reverie, I'm actually quite interested in learning about New Zealand's culture. Let's see if there's anything on TV. Kiwi are flightless birds native to New Zealand. Approximately the size of a domestic chicken, Kiwi are by far the smallest living birds in the rarity family. Because of this small size, Kiwi lay the largest egg in relation to their body size of any bird on the planet. You know what, this is really interesting and all, but I might have a chat with Tom, Daniel and Jared from Rainbite, the developers of Reverie, to learn more about their game and what may have influenced the development process. Now, as Philip DeFranco would say, Let's just jump into it. What's up everybody, welcome to the House of Mario, the award-winning Nintendo podcast on the 8-Bit Collective, and the doors to episode 82 are open. I'm your host Drew Agnew, and joining me today on the show is the team from Rainbite. How you going guys? Good. G'day, g'day. Now, uh, so there's Tom, Jared and Daniel. Just a quick introduction, what you guys do at Rainbite, and yeah, how would you like to introduce yourselves to the audience? Uh, g'day, I'm Dan. I'm the director at Rainbite, and I handled the art for Reverie, and um, yeah, sort of just like do a bit of everything, you know, from tax returns to programming and you know whatever needs to be done. Yep. So. <laughs> all, all, all the extra fun stuff. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, <laughs> everyone loves tax returns, eh? Yeah. Oh, great. absolutely. It's all, it's all right if you get a decent amount back. Uh, yeah, I don't think we're given much back. This uh, I don't <laughs> think we're getting much back. I think we're giving it to them so <laughs> yeah, that that's that, that's my case as well yeah yeah uh jared what about you yeah so i do well i am jared and i do <laughs> all the pro well not all the program most of the programming for all the pretty much all of it but then yeah daniel does some assistance and in, in a little bit as well and we um so i mainly do programming and uh, i guess what else do i do puzzle designing sometimes especially for reverie doing a lot of the puzzles and um yeah it's like we, i mean we all design parts of the game as well so that's it yeah yeah and tom uh hello i'm tom uh i do uh, i'm also i also go by butler as these two other gentlemen call me all the time <laughs> yeah um <laughs> from my uni days um i do mainly do world building and marketing sort of stuff um on reverie i did a lot of the it was a lot of asset placement uh in the world and then handling twitter and facebook and all that fun stuff so yeah yep all, all the uh, social media to help yep. uh, get the name out there and yep. everyone to know about your game. Yep, yep, that's all fun. Mm. Fun again. So I, I just like I like starting off the show just with uh, sort of the games you grew up playing and what some of your favourites were, just to get an idea of what what might be uh, going through your heads when you're developing the game and what might have been an influence on the on the games you guys create. So uh, we'll start with Daniel. What were some games uh, you grew up with? Pretty big question, pretty big question. Um, Huge question. <laughs> big big yeah. retro guy. <laughs> yeah, I guess... Um, awesome. Well, some of my, like, earliest memories are, um, you know, like, Doom and Warcraft 1. Yeah, the original Warcraft, back when they were real-time strategy games. And, um, yeah, then sort of moved into, um, like, back when you could rent video game consoles from, like, video stores, like Blockbuster, Video Easy, and all that. Mm-hmm. It sort of rent like PS1s and N64s and uh, yeah definitely Ocarina of Time was like my, my favourite game and um, yeah used to just like even read through the manual when I wasn't allowed to play <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah yeah so definitely Zelda 
Zelda games pretty Nintendo focused, but also you know started moving into stuff like Ratchet and Clank and Jack and Daxter. Yeah, um, yeah, and that would pretty much pretty much sum it up. Mm. Was Ocarina of Time one of your first games, or at least one of your first three D games? Yeah, it was pretty early. It was pretty early. Um, yeah, my cousin was really into it, and so he kind of showed it to me. He was an older cousin, and um, yeah, from there it was just pretty much had to had to get my hands on it, and yeah, rented mm. out, rented out the um, rented it out heaps of times and and the console itself because i wasn't yeah you're a kid right and you can't really get a get a game console for yourself it really relies on your parents generosity (laughs) yeah i i I was i was similar back when i was younger but i didn't i never actually thought about renting any consoles it was mainly going over the friends and playing their nintendo 64s and playstation 2s and everything they have yeah yeah i think it was like five dollars a day and then you would yeah for ps1 like you never had a memory card like they never give you the That's memory right. cards so I, re- <laughs> I remember having like spyro and I, I rented it out for like five days in the school holidays and i think i just had to leave it on overnight because i don't want to lose my progress hmm. and so if there was a power cut you were stuffed and you just had to start again yeah <laughs> i've actually got a funny story about spyro because my friend who had spyro he was the only friend i knew who actually had spyro he had a burnt copy of it and for some reason when you when you like finish the first uh level and go to the second one it would freeze so I, I never went past the first level all I did is run around the first level and <laughs> do whatever then it froze get up re- press the restart button on the playstation and keep going but it's pretty sad when you're yeah, a kid no, you that's gotta, my memory of Spyro <laughs> yeah. you gotta do what you gotta do to you know play games you don't have that many options do you <laughs> that's yeah that's true. right uh, Jared what about you what were some of your favourite games growing up well mine's kind of interesting cause especially for I guess like the inspiration for Reverie, a lot of the knowledge from that would have come from Daniel because I, I only played uh, Zelda games. I never, I never played Earthbound, but I only played Zelda games um, in the past like five years probably because I, um, when I was a kid, I never had any Nintendo console. I had to go to next to neighbors' places or you know whatever. But most of mine was PlayStation. My first console was a PS2, even mm. though I should have probably been in the generation before, but my parents were not allowing me to buy any of those earlier consoles. But my my cousins had earlier stuff but um yeah surprisingly playstation focused but i i do like a lot of the nintendo stuff and um i, I say the ones that I, I think the ones that i started with apart from pc because I, I was able to play some things on my pc but on ps2 it was like for some reason i have really early memories of scalar if you remember scalar we talk about that sometimes oh, okay. <laughs> between us it's a bit of a meme i've never heard of scalar what's scalar it's like i don't know it's like a pretty average like maybe double a like ps2 game but it was like a third person maybe even single a it was yeah. like a it was like a 3d mascot platformer i remember like that and spy versus spy was like one of like the two games i had on ps2 and then i ended up going into the more classic like ratchet and clank or um jack and dexter stuff but um but then yeah only recently i've started going back and playing like the the early zeldas and um the early marios and that kind of stuff because yeah it's kind of weird that I don't, I don't know why i didn't have anyone that i really knew that had Nintendo consoles. I don't think the N64 was as popular here. I mean, Daniel probably knows better. But... It, it was pretty popular, but definitely the GameCube just cratered in New Zealand. Yeah. And mm, I, think I, yeah. I think I knew one guy with a GameCube and he spent like $130 to get Super Mario Sunshine and that was all he had. <laughs> so. Yeah. In in my area of South Australia, we um, everyone had a Nintendo 64, but then everyone went to PlayStation 2. Mm. And... I remember being quite shocked when I found out the PlayStation 1 sold about 80, well, 70 million more consoles than the Nintendo 64 did because I just assumed everyone had one because that's what it was in my area. But Yeah, yeah, it's interesting getting those sort of 
locate locality like trends there's location-based trends because mm. you know it's like the sega master system for instance no one cared about that anywhere in the world except for europe and australia and new zealand you know yeah. that was way bigger than the nes but yeah 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 i th- think the u.s just really caught on to the playstation and went from there and obviously japan too yeah nintendo 64 was not popular in japan because that was the age of jrpgs of course uh yeah yep. everyone wants yep. everyone wanted to keep going with that uh final fantasy 7 and 8 and 9 <laughs> yeah exactly uh tom what about some of your favorites uh I played a lot of Pokemon. Uh, <laughs> like a lot of Pokemon. Um, then there were times that I'd be at uh, would be at my dad's place, and I didn't have my Game Boy or whatever with me, so I'd end up playing PS2, and I'd played a lot of like uh, a few sports games, but it was mainly um, like Ratchet and Clank. Uh, Ratchet and Clank Three was a big one. I played that. I don't know how many times. Um, I played a bit of Scalar. Uh, I've got a big collection. I don't know. I just I think I was a bit spoiled to be honest. I played a lot yep. of games, <laughs> but yeah, Pokemon Pokemon was a big standout. What were some of your first Pokemon games? Uh, Pokemon Red was my first. Um, yep. I never. I think I got up to the second or third gym, and that was it. I couldn't figure out where to go after that, but I didn't <laughs> care. I just enjoyed running around that world. Hmm. Um, as much as I was restricted, I could still. I still had a good time. Um, but then uh, Pokemon Sapphire was my uh, big one. That's uh, when I actually started understanding what I was doing a bit more. Yeah. I'm um, enjoying. I think I was. I was on a trip with my mum somewhere. I can't remember where we were going. But we were at an airport, and there was the the silver Game Boy Advance SP in the box on the wall, uh, and Pokemon Sapphire. And Mum decided to get that for me while we were travelling, so I had something to do on the planes and stuff. Hmm. Um, and that just set me off. That was like that was it. You know, I was stuck in the Pokemon universe from then on. <laughs> yeah. He's still there. Yeah, he's, he's still, he's still, still buys, there. Like yeah. all of them and plays them all. Like he's. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, po- Pokemon Sapphire was the the big one for me too. That was my because. My my first console was my Game Boy Advance SP because oh, yeah, uh, yeah I, I just played games everyone else's places and that was like the first thing I'm like I want my own and to yeah. play Pokemon on and I got a copy of Sapphire for uh, Christmas and yeah ever since I've been a huge Nintendo fan and here we are now talking Nintendo on a podcast so yeah <laughs> perfect <laughs> yeah Sapphire Gen three was yeah. pretty great I think I, I think I got Fire Red from that generation. I mean, oh. it's sort of yeah, it's a Gen One remake, I guess. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember yeah, when just... Fire Red was released, and I was super excited to go back to like Gen One, but with Gen Three graphics, like no way, this is <laughs> <Yeah>. insane. So, <laughs> I absolutely love Gen Three. It's one of my, it's probably my favorite generation. It's a good one. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I remember. I think when Pokemon Emerald came out, it was like the tail end of that generation, and it was like. There was un- there was very minor differences between Emerald and Sapphire. Um, obviously, Emerald being like the definitive edition for Gen three, I guess. It had that huge post game. Yeah, it had big post game mm. stuff. But it was that's kind of when I I think when I realized that like oh these are similar games and they play similar, but there's some minor differences. Like I think the text font was slightly different and it's, it was a bit cleaner <laughs> and that sort of stuff. But that's when I started realizing that oh games are you know made by humans. You know, <laughs> they're like <laughs> there's like people have put real thought into these sorts of things to make things look a little bit nicer or or whatever it was. So. Mm. I reckon apart from Black and White too, I reckon Emerald was the best, like definitive version of like what they've done of the Pokemon games. How they added, they added so much to it. Like they added more story to it. How they've got the two teams. They added the Battle Frontier. If you complete the National Dex, you could get a Johto starter. Like there was so much more to do. Yeah, yeah, it, it was, was really it good. Was incredible. Yeah, and just with like the animations too. When um, because they was it Crystal? They brought in animations. Then Ruby and Sapphire, they got rid of them. Yeah, Pokemon Crystal and Emerald, was very they good come too. back and yeah. it just added so much more life to sprites. Yeah, yeah, it was really good. So, 
How did you guys get into the games in industry? What what made you go from loving games, growing up playing them, to saying I want to make we want to make our own games? I think it was a pretty natural progression for all of us. You know, when you're just so into something and your life revolves around something and you, revolves around one particular hobby, and you know you start to think, oh, maybe I could get into this too, and start looking at what is possible. Um, you know like the pathways to get into it and uh, we pretty much all decided to well all independently we didn't know each other before university yeah, but we yeah. all we all met at university in first year all doing software engineering and um, it was a quite a game based university and mm-hmm. so you know it was four people who wanted to get into the games industry so we sort of had all decided independently that that was what we wanted to do and then we got there and you know clicked with each other and um, yeah, we all have our different likes and dislikes in games but yeah we managed i think we managed to find we managed to find something yeah. we all wanted to make because <laughs> sometimes we brainstorm and it's like oh, i can't be bothered making that kind of genre that's like not what i like yeah yeah so jared doesn't like you know turn-based rpgs strategy games or strategy rpgs whereas i quite like those <laughs> but yeah. if i want to make that and jared doesn't want to make it you know you can't have a third of the team just not want to make that type of game yeah but so what do you think made you go from say like i assume you guys were paired up on university assignments and things like that before you decided to go all right let's make a a huge game is is that the case yeah 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 we all had the same assignments and um i think i was i think i sat next to jared pretty early on at university and so jared and i became friends and then um Actually, we became friends because of League of Legends. Everyone, pretty much everyone yeah. else was playing Dota, and yeah. he was the only. So I, I remember yeah. I was sitting one row back from Daniel and Jared, and they were talking. They were looking at the League of Legends patch notes like every week, and I was like sitting behind them, like, man, I want to like I want to talk to those guys, but I'm like talking about <laughs> all these other guys back here talking to, you, and they're all talking about Dota. I don't really care about Dota, but oh man, and then eventually we uh, no, I don't know how we actually ended up talking, but yeah. Hmm. Well, so, I mean, it's just because our classes were quite small, and yeah, we. Were. We had a lot of projects where you would be helping the whole class, would be helping each other out, really, trying to like figure out how to do some things. And then towards the end of it, we we ended up being in the same team, especially for the last year where we did a big-ish pro- project. And then after that, um, we had other people in it, but then we decided we would we like we us three would decided okay, we can make a game outside of uni and like spend the time doing that. And I think other people they wanted to go get jobs and get money because we didn't have income for like a year essentially. <laughs> Yeah. So, how did you how did you uh, fund the game while you're making it? Obviously, like whether that's getting a part time job or just saving. How did you go about it? Slightly differently for all three of us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Butler worked as a chef in a in a rest home. Yeah. Part time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, Jared used student loans. <laughs> I just stacked it up while I was there, and I put it in the savings. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I had a part time job, sort of doing app development. And um, yeah, that pretty much got got us through, to, got us to the finish line. It sort of we went also, maybe also a month or two over. But. We we all lived at home, so the if there was any board, it's quite low. Mm. So yeah, that that was. I think if if we were actually renting, I, I think we would have just run through our money like so quick that we probably couldn't survive at all, really. But yeah. it would have been a lot worse if we weren't living at home. Um, yeah, yeah, I would imagine. Sure. Is Wellington quite expensive? Oh, we're in Auckland, in which is even more expensive. Oh, you're yeah. in Auckland, yeah. right? That's one of the most expensive cities in the world. To oh, really? Wow. Yeah. It, in terms of you know relative to incomes and all and all that sort of stuff, I'm pretty sure it's as class is really unaffordable. Um, yeah. Whether you're buying or renting, it's yeah, it's pretty 
pretty bad situation. Pretty miserable, yeah. <laughs> like e- even Adelaide, uh, like I-, I live in a small country town, and my friends that moved to Adelaide, um, like when they talk about their rent, I'm like, Jesus, like I- I'm just not in that world. It's quite it's quite cheaper in the in the country down here. Yeah, Adelaide looks really nice, actually. That's like one of the one Australian city that I wouldn't mind living in, but apparently <laughs> Melbourne and Sydney are even more expensive in terms of their rents. Especially oh, Sydney. Sydney is bonkers. Like Melbourne's, like you know, really expensive. But yeah, like that people are struggling to get home loans, and that it's that expensive to buy there. So everyone's stuck renting, and mm. uh, because of that, since the market's just uh, so full, that yeah, costs a lot to rent there. I'd hate to live in Sydney. <laughs> it must yeah. make it really hard for. I think it probably affects the game industries of both countries. You know, if you can't, if you're a startup and yeah. you can't, you just can't make it happen if you don't have like a place to live. Um, yeah. <laughs> apparently, I think I, I heard a stat, I'm not sure about Australia, but in New Zealand, there hasn't been a company that has founded in the past five years, which has more than five employees or something like that. Like all, all of right. the all of the decently sized companies are already established and you have a bunch of new ones coming through, but it's usually just sort of like us, you know, com- companies <laughs> like us where it's just three of us and we're not hiring a bunch of other people and, you know, creating a whole bunch of jobs. Mm. Um, so it's, yeah, I think, it, I think it all spills over into different industries. Yeah. That's, that's a shame though, but, uh, with, with, I think from what I can tell anyway, Melbourne's becoming sort of the game developer hub here in Australia. A lot of games, like, yeah, yeah. A lot of indie games seem to be coming out of there, and even Adelaide's starting to pick up steam. Like with Hollow Knight, with Team Cherry, and uh, a couple awesome, of others. Yeah. There's, there's a fair few coming out of Adelaide as well. I didn't realize they were Australian at all. The Hollow Knight people, no, neither. Hmm. Like I, I noticed that because at Avcon, it's a it's a video game and anime convention here in Adelaide, and they were showing off their game for years and years there. It was hmm. like when it was originally on Wii U. It wasn't on Switch or PC. It was just Wii U. And yeah, I was like, "Wow, this game looks amazing for a you know for um, a team it so small." Many yeah. people, yeah. It was. Uh, yeah. I mean, I played through the whole thing. It's really long as well, surprisingly yeah. long for a game. I mean, obviously, it took them quite a long time to make it. But I was like, when I was playing, I was like, I can't believe there's like twenty, thirty hours of content in this game. Mm. Like, and they added more for free too. I know it's this ridiculous. Well, it was yeah. it was a Kickstarter goals. Is that why? I uh, it it probably was. Yeah, um, I'm not that familiar with uh, the kick kickstarter campaign they've got another dlc pack coming on valentine's day i just saw the announcement <laughs> recently oh, just what you need you need a hollow knight to kick your teeth in yeah exactly <laughs> uh so uh, you, your guys game uh, reverie just uh give us the, the quick pitch on what it's all about you want to do it marketing man oh jeez, i haven't said this in a long time <laughs> what's the elevator pitch butler remember <laughs> god all right uh it's a Reverie is a 2D action adventure game set on a fictional island off the coast of New Zealand uh, where you play as Ty, a young boy visiting his grandparents on a summer holiday um, when you discover the mysteries uh, of behind the island and you got to go and like explore an adventure and stuff. That good memory, good memory. Ad-lib, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> a more natural way of explaining it would just be like, it's like kind of like Zelda set in modern day New Zealand. Um, yeah, with you know the sort of Maori myths in the background. As, mm. uh, yeah, it's frowned upon to put to put to, to put like other games in your game description, though. So that's why you have to like word around it, trying to tell people what it is without making yeah. it. You know, I always yeah, feel it's... always feel guilty. Say if I'm at PAX or something and I'm playing a game, and 
the, the developer's like, oh, what, what do you think? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it reminds me of, um, like, uh, Kid Icarus or, like, just whatever it sort of reminds me of. I feel bad for doing that because I feel yeah. like... The, but it is the easiest way to sort of try and put your point across as well. That's how you sell it to people usually because if, you, if you're like, do you like that type of game? And then they're like, yeah. I was like, well, you can play it because you'll enjoy a game similar to it. That's mm. the assumption. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I really enjoy Reverie. I'm a big fan of these uh, sort of the 2D Zelda games and even like stuff like Blossom Tales which came to the Switch uh, the previous year as well yeah, uh, yeah that uh, one looks good yeah and ha- having the sort of the New Zealand theme is really like really unique and really sets it apart from a lot of these games so we're hoping yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately the New Zealand setting I think a lot of people I mean obviously Australians know all about New Zealand and mm. Um, some Europeans, I think, were quite popular for like tourism in Germany and France and those sorts of countries. But a lot of places just assume that the game is set in America or something like that. Like the, just, the yeah, setting is fine. a little bit lost. <laughs> yeah, as long as they buy it, you know. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's quite interesting with the game influences as well. Like picking out what people see as the as the biggest influence. Like Zelda is obviously the is obviously the big one, but. I mean, these guys mentioned before that they they didn't play a Zelda game for quite a while, and I had only played Ocarina of Time, which has, you know, next to no influence on Reverie, you know, just being such a different sort of game. I actually played Star Tropics before I played a 2D Zelda game. (laughs) And so, yeah, Star Tropics was like a big... Yeah, I guess when I was playing that, I was maybe 13 or 14 and just thought, I mean, this is kind of... It's like the Pacific Islands, which are just so close by. Yeah, Rarotonga and Samoa, but like, what if it was like Star Tropics, but just like on New Zealand? <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, then then once you play Minish Cap and Link to the Past, then it's like okay, you know, because Star Tropics is a Zelda, I guess, a Zelda like in the first place anyway. Yeah, yeah, when it was created, but yeah. We get a lot of Earthbound comments, people saying that it's like Earthbound, even those who've played it. But I mean, apart from the general aesthetic, it, I don't think it had any influence really on yeah. the gameplay oh. or the setting or maybe just general quirkiness because everyone sees Earthbound as being like a quirky game but if people mm, don't know yeah. Earthbound a lot of people say Pokemon because it is a similar look to how their Pokemon games would look as well hmm. yeah sort of Gen 3-ish kind of resolution and art style yeah, yeah but with Earthbound I think Earthbound's definitely it's quite weird and quirky and there's like a lot of deep subtext going on there hmm. whereas with Reverie I don't think it's quite quite to that level it's more charming rather than weird yeah I was going to ask that because a lot of people uh, I saw on Twitter saying oh I've just picked up Reverie it like these guys are uh, big Nintendo fans and they're saying oh it's a it's a cross between Zelda and Earthbound really looking forward to jumping into it and looking at the game I think just from the the idea that the game's set in modern times and and your items are uh, weapons from your everyday life like your cricket bat like your snorkel and um, items like that uh, I think that sort of just gives the Earthbound vibes and talking to the NPCs and everyone around the world too just like with all, with all like the silly jokes and sort of the humour I think that's very Earthbound-esque as well yeah I, I, I can see why people would think that I guess because mm. But yeah, the, the interesting thing is that, yeah, I've never played Earthbound. I've, I know some things yeah. about it, but it was the visual aesthetic was something that we liked. We liked the more pastel-y colours instead of the more traditional, like a lot more darker colours on NES games and that mm. kind of stuff. So we... Um, we wanted to kind of go for for that style more, but yeah, there's there's pretty much there's like no gameplay parts, no, which is a yeah. problem. When someone sees it, they're like, "Oh, I'm looking forward to like a like a turn based game." And it's like, "Oh, it's not JRPG like sort of thing." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, they're going to be very disappointed if that's what they think uh, Reverie is. Yeah, yeah but... I think I think like from 
if, if people are expecting that, they'll catch on pretty quick when you go down the basement and you do a puzzle and a key drops down. You're like, okay. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, that. by that stage, they've already bought it, though. And so if they're wanting, a, <laughs> if they're wanting an RPG, then they're, you know, $13 at a $13 loss. <laughs> mm. but, Just go watch the trailer. It's easy enough, you know. Yeah, it's pretty Yeah, yeah. We've tried to get that get that point across. Um, we, we had to make sure in all the trailers to make sure you add real-time combat into the trailer so that people don't assume that it's some turn-based combat thing because mm. that, was that was a thought where, like, a, it is unfortunate if someone buys it, you know, hoping something else. Mm. So so the Earthbound sort of similarities or people people sort of drawing from that, was that was that just a happy coincidence then? Uh, the We definitely chose an aesthetic that was, like, similar to Earthbound yeah intentionally you know we had 12 we had basically enough money to work on this game for 12 months give or take and so none of us had done art so i just had to do art um and yeah it was just those were the constraints and um earthbound had like a you know a nice clean simple art style which um you know the because you know how Earthbound is it's kind of isometric you know the buildings mm. got isometric out the back yeah you know we thought okay that does not fit for a Zelda like trying to mm. roll around a town and all that sort of stuff so I was like what if we did that except it was straight on and then we found that Mother 3 exists Earthbound's essentially the sequel to Earthbound except it only came out in Japan mm-hmm. and they did the same thing 13 years before yeah um, but it's by that stage it was too late <laughs> yeah it, it it it's not so yeah, it's not so much Earthbound but Mother 3 it actually looks like a lot more similar to that yeah so yeah now, now that you say that like everyone's saying Earthbound but yeah Mother 3 is probably the the one where people should be drawing the art oh, style from anyway it's definitely close to the aesthetic of Mother 3 definitely close but it's a lot yeah, less trying because it's you know limited to Japan and everything so mm. I'm yeah, that's why at least <laughs> yeah. anywhere else um, but obviously the gameplay is you know just so far away I don't think it takes any other influences I mean none of us have played Mother 3 none of us can play Mother 3 because it's not in English yeah, um, you, you can play it but uh, you just don't understand so much legally yeah. through, through quite, quite text based mm. through, yeah through nefarious means I suppose yeah but. there's a great fan translation out there if you are interested you can play it just not on your uh, Switch <laughs> no uh, maybe, well, maybe one day maybe one day now that we're released on a Nintendo console, we have to publicly say that we'll wait for any localization Absolutely. <laughs> that Nintendo do. <laughs> I was curious about the art because when you when you guys said what you uh, guys do for for the game, none of you guys said artists. So I was curious because, <laughs> like, I, I I think everyone can sort of stand around this too. Like the art is great. I absolutely love the pixel art. I'm a big big sucker for that type of thing. Like being a uh, old school Nintendo fan, so I, th- I think you've done a great job on it, especially if you're like, um, if you're not an artist and you sort of just learnt it as you went. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Um, pr- pretty much learning as we went. You know, just kind of pull up. I mean, I've played a bit of Earthbound before, and it's like, oh, you know, this is sort of how they do houses, or like this is sort of how they do trees, hmm. and then you just kind of wing it. And um, the first three months, it's kind of looks bad, and then after that, it. You know, it looks good. Do do a couple yep. editing, <laughs> go back and try and make things look a bit better, just to to keep it all consistent. Cause, but you don't want to do it too much. I mean, so, some games will go back and redo a lot. We try to not do that because of time constraints in a way where it's like mm. don't want to get away from yourself with that. Yeah, I'd, I'd redo stuff that definitely was pretty poor. Um, you know, early early attempts that were just sort of chucked in the game. But yeah, apart from that, it was it was a relatively smooth process. Um, but there's a lot of things that you know are outside of 
you know, a, a lot of new things that we put in the game, which other people haven't, you know, done. So just in terms, just from an art perspective, so it's kind of you take like real life reference and just do your best. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Like we went around and took photos of various things in New Zealand, and I just try and draw them in pixel art form, basically. <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, one of the biggest aspects of the games is going into going into the dungeons and uh, beating those. Was was that some of the more challenging aspects of developing the game, or do you reckon that was the most rewarding, getting those puzzles all together and working? Yeah, I, I think I, th- I think that like it, it's it's definitely the most like once you've got it done, you're like, oh, we feel like we did this pretty well. Assuming you did, you know, you, you design it, we we pre-design it beforehand. We're all like working to see like how many puzzles do we want per dungeon, or you know, what enemy should we introduce, or when should the when you get the item and that kind of stuff and when you get the whole thing done it is pretty rewarding but then getting towards the end of the game we got to a point where we're like we feel like we're exhausting the puzzle opportunities or the puzzle variations mm. that we, we don't want to make it the same puzzle every time so we always for every puzzle we were trying to add a new aspect to it so it wasn't just exactly the same um mm. and th- 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 that is fun in a way and then at a certain point it gets really hard because you're just doing too many puzzles um yep <laughs> And I guess I guess one interesting thing is that we didn't really do that much iteration. Once we designed it, we we actually ended up kind of just doing it as we designed it, and we're pretty happy with how we did most of them. It, just the way, with, and I think that probably helped with development time, bringing it down, is we didn't really feel the need to iterate that much on a lot of what we did. We felt like it was pretty good when we did it the first time. Which I don't know if that's cocky or if that's just uh, this yeah. is how it was. <laughs> but it doesn't quite have that, like you know, Nintendo games. Like when you play Minish Cap or something, you have just that next level of like the mechanics integrate so well with the world and with the dungeons. And yeah, we didn't quite have that, like not not quite that level that they get. Mm. Um, I mean, people who don't like the game would say we're not. We wouldn't. We didn't get even close. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was definitely. It was a game that you know we did have serious time constraints on, and I think we were, yeah, you know, we had roughly a year to make the game, and we were six six or seven months through with two dungeons, and we're just like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds dire when you say two in six months, but it's because we set up a lot of the framework for it, and then we once we knew how to make make dungeons, it was a lot quicker to get through making them um we didn't, we didn't rush any of them i don't really think <laughs> we, tried, we tried our best to make them good but by the time we got to the third one like the third dungeon is i think a good dungeon yeah i really like the third dungeon mm. yeah and the fourth one is you know has has some interesting different mechanics and yeah the five one is the fifth one is huge um, i think the yes, fourth is my favorite though <laughs> when we first yeah. when we initially designed the fifth dungeon it was bigger than the world map i think i mean it's like, really... i'm pretty sure i mean not, oh, not in terms of <laughs> not in terms of tiles but in terms of like overall space because there's missing tiles in the world map yeah. it's a complete square okay. yeah. but in terms yeah. of like it's like four floors I think yeah but when we first designed it it was bigger like in terms of tiles I remember we, we had yeah. like and then we're like wait a minute this is ridiculous we just start cutting things down yeah. but yeah that was quite funny did you find you did you find you had to be slapping yourself on the hand sometimes like no don't make it so big bring it back or were you pretty pretty well set and uh, making your like, the game small enough to get it out in time I think we scoped that was probably one of the strengths of of the project yeah. was how was how we scoped it and we didn't let anything get too out of control like we had a lot of ideas and all that sort of stuff but yeah we were pretty quick knowing whether it was going to be possible mm-hmm. to to actually yeah. make it make it into the game so yeah a few things got cut very early on so we cut one dungeon yeah. um and then we cut we were going to have um, 
you know how you collect feathers throughout the game world yep uh, we were also going to have like fishing like you fish in different spots and oh, you, yeah. yep. there's a chance of getting you know different breeds of fish but it just didn't we didn't have it didn't fit into anything any other mechanics in the world like i mean i guess it would just be a consumable or something like that it was just like another collectathon essentially hmm. yeah i definitely i definitely respect uh sort of you guys like keeping it nice and small and compact and tight a lot a lot of games try to be like oh we're trying to make it like as big as we can so we can take as much as you have time and you know, you're not you're not moving on to other things like what the competition might be. That's probably more in the AAA space, but I really do respect like being able to pay your like twenty so dollars and sit down and get a nice say ten hour experience, just being able to play through the game, enjoy the puzzles, clean up a few things in the overworld, talk to everyone, do the side quests, and that that that's pretty much your experience. And I think uh, you think back a lot more fondly on that rather than thinking about like a lot of uh, filler, which a lot of games like tend to put in. Yeah. We we, we, tr- we were trying to actively not like we didn't want to waste the player's time, which is mm. something with the puzzles. We didn't want to we didn't want to reuse the exact same puzzle every time because if we we did, you could you could beef it out and you, I mean you could like double the length of it if you just added a ton more of very similar stuff. But we wanted to keep moving and we didn't want to like outstay our welcome because because we knew that it could it could get quite repetitive if you if you were doing that. But we, we I mean we still wanted to have a decent amount of game there, and I feel, I feel like we we had a pretty good time. Like we we ended up with a pretty good length. Though some people, there are definitely some people that say it's like way too short. But maybe they're just really good at it. They finish it like their first time in like three or four hours, which right, is yep. kind of crazy. I mean, like that's how much that's what I can finish it in now. But um, there was a review actually recently that said that they finished it first go in something I think three and a half hours. I was like, wow, that's pretty impressive. Like if you haven't played the game though. before, man, that's um, great. Yeah, you must but, be just yeah. be. You must be just rolling to the next dungeon, just go, 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 go. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah, they, I don't think they they didn't do any of the extra stuff or anything like that. Mm. They just would have been powering through it. But yeah, it's just avoiding filler and making sure that the player gets something new every fifteen minutes. Mm. Is well, sort of yeah. the the gist of it. So every dungeon, we thought, okay, we're going to have one unique thing um, outside of the items. We did, we have to have a separate unique thing, which yeah is um nowhere else in the game so the first even just the basement dungeon there's the little segment with the lantern being in the dark mm-hmm. and that's only one room and so but it's only a small dungeon um but yeah it's just having things like that mm. um which just very slightly switch it up yeah we're hoping to keep the it would make the dungeons more memorable to have these unique elements that didn't cross over to other dungeons and i mean a lot of people will got attached to the um the first boss which was the first boss we created the 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 dryer a lot of people like that but yeah we i mean that wasn't even like the unique element like every dungeon has a boss but yeah definitely tried to mm. keep it fresh if possible yeah the uh, the haunted clothes dryer <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a good I, one for trailers <laughs> i know i uh, definitely didn't finish it that quick because um i i went to the arcade and just started playing the the arcade game yeah. there trying Try and beat uh, what's his name? Was it, was his initials? Was it B R N? Was it Brian? Yeah, Brian, yeah, yeah, Brian, yeah. yeah I yeah, beat that, him. That that punk ass boy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People like people like that one as well. Even even before the Switch release, you know, just going back to when it was on PS4 and PS Vita, you know, six nine months afterwards, we were still getting tweets from people like showing us their high score schools. and all that sort of oh, stuff awesome. yeah their high scores which is pretty cool I think someone managed to get like 50,000 points or something ridiculous it's crazy it, it's yeah. a very linear like, scaling game so if you're just if you can I mean if you can stay alive you can just keep playing it mm. and you can just keep going <laughs> but I mean if you want 
people were wanting us to um, sort of separate it out and make it um, like its own game for two or three dollars <laughs> on Vita. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, but, no, we, we didn't. <laughs> we obviously just, didn't. Just fill that. it up with trophies and yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that, half yeah. an hour. There's a, there's a market for that. There's definitely a market. Definitely, for that. yeah. Yeah, we'd rather spend our time on other on other things. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll, I'll get to the uh, the trophies and achievement stuff later, but. What what were some of the most fun aspects of developing the game? We went over the dungeons and a few of those things, but uh, what what were the, some of the things like you really got a kick out of when you when you saw it in action? Got to be the New Zealand references for me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were heaps of fun to put in um, because I guess that's part of that's part of what makes the game unique is that mm. there aren't many games set in New Zealand especially in a meaningful way you know there's a couple of rugby games where they where they have um eden park as an option but that doesn't it doesn't actually explore new zealand and mm. what's unique about new zealand so it would be the all, all those sorts of little references yeah um, i can't yeah. really name any new zealand games apart from reverie to be honest i don't know i'm sure, maybe there are some but they're definitely none that i can think of that are based in new zealand maybe some that are developed but yeah, I mean, some games have like parts of it maybe set in New Zealand. I think just just recently, Hitman Two has a Hawks Bay map, but mm. it, def- it definitely doesn't explore like or it's it, it a tutorial map. Yeah, oh, is it? Yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't okay. show you much of like the yeah it doesn't show you the culture or the you know the any of the feel of it. I guess because I mean, what there's what's that that Kiwi one New Zealand adventure New, New Zealand story. the New Zealand story yeah you play as yeah. a Kiwi or whatever but. I think that was oh, done. Yeah, it was right. done externally from New Zealand. I'm pretty sure. It was done by a Japanese guy in the 80s who visited New Zealand on holiday mm. and um, went back to Japan and was like, "Guys, let's make a game based on like Auckland, Rotorua, you know, um, Waitomo <laughs> Caves." There's this nice little country with cute birds. Let's make a game on it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. There was also um, Far Cry Three that they said they were based, that was uh, yeah, very inspired by uh, like all the native uh, like NPCs were speaking. Maori, uh, oh, but they didn't. See, say I never that. actually played. Yeah, Far Cry yeah. Five. So, oh, three, three, Far Cry Three. <laughs> yeah, three. Tom, what were some of your uh, uh, favorite things about uh, making the game? Or most fun things? I think because we stuck to kind of what we enjoyed most as like our roles. I really enjoyed making the world, you know. So like that's kind of my mm. my role. So uh, because I like doing that, probably the most, I guess. Um, like building, building out the the world and um, like kind of designing the overworld in a way, like the forest particularly a bravery is one that sticks out because that was the one I did first um, although that took the longest because I was placing every tree individually and every little flower and every little tuft of grass individually like one by one um, it was really really fun like getting the layout for that sorted out and like kind of learning how to direct the player um, mm. in ways that you know without obviously just saying go this way it was more like uh, environmentally telling people how to do things which mm. was really fun to, to, to learn and figure out yeah yeah, like it would have been, it would have been pretty cool, like doing each individual area, like doing the beach, doing the forest, doing the uh, what was the what was the island called? It escaped my mind. The um, uh, Tor- Toromi Island, the whole, Death um, Island, the oh, little, 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 little key, the little yeah, key, Butler's Cave, named after mm. after me. Yeah, yeah, would have would have been that cool, sort fun. of differentiating all those different areas. It was really cool. Yeah, the volcano was also really fun to make, um, just because there was a couple of unique little sprites to use for there, so I could like kind of make like cool cool things with those, but. Yeah, that's cool. What What were some of the um, biggest challenges while developing the game? Probably time. Yeah, time. Yeah, makes <laughs> it always is right. Yeah. Um, do we have any specifics though? I don't know. My art skills would be would have been another one. You know, for a good portion of it. <laughs> yeah, 
I, I guess it was kind of probably just our, our, our skills since we had to design the whole game, not just because we were all programmers. So going yep. from all pro- programming backgrounds to suddenly, oh, we need like world building and marketing and art and, <laughs> and yeah. like puzzle design and stuff. It's like, it's quite Tax a lot. returns. Tax returns, <laughs> yeah, yeah, all that fun yep. stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so just but, learning all these different skills on the fly sort of as yeah, you're yeah. trying to make this game on time but also getting stuff done, getting the company's name out there, getting... Yeah. your tax files uh, returned and all that yeah because I, I think a, I think a big thing that would have been a challenge which is just overall I guess it's like it's our first I mean it wasn't our first time making like a decently big game but it was our first time making a game for consoles and making a game that had like proper saving and having a game where you had to design a whole proper world and so like getting like a workflow that was like okay the art needs to be like this so we can use it in the engine a certain way or you know set like making sure when you set up an npc do a certain thing so that it works but it's just because of how we designed some of the ways that we would implement stuff it wasn't that great and so when you go to your next game it's it's easier to design your systems because you know what you, what challenges you're gonna end up having in the future because there's definitely some parts where it's like oh that's all we need and you get to the a point you're like oh wait we need to add this other thing so you have to implement a thing just to like you know duct tape it onto the side of everything else and then hope everything still works which Definitely, I think that was, I mean it's the most challenging for me from doing a lot of the programming is trying to like whenever we feel like we need another bit added on, it's like oh, okay, hopefully it doesn't break everything. <laughs> yeah, like uh, you, you guys were saying uh, in putting in work, say if you add like a color, uh, it just it changes the whole thing, and you've got to like go back and fix that, and it might yeah. be different in a in, like the different version of the game, and it, it's, yeah, it sounds uh, like yeah. a the classic. Yeah, that was that was that was that was, yeah. <laughs> that was a specific thing with the. It was the same thing with the Vita that we had, where the which is why you definitely got to test on hardware. Is that the the mm. Vita would randomly change colors for some reason? It wasn't just colors; it had other problems. But just I don't know <laughs> why the hardware interprets it differently. Mm. It's very odd, but uh, that, that mm. could be it. It could be annoying, but it's just it's the things you can't even foresee the problem because you why would that be a problem? <laughs> and then yeah. it is, and you're like, well, I guess I'll have to deal with it. So yeah. Yeah, actually, uh, talking about the Vita, you guys uh, originally brought out the game on the PlayStation about a year ago. I'm just curious what the porting process like was like from PS4 and Vita to Switch, and sort of how Nintendo was like to work with compared to Sony. Yeah, I I don't think it was it wasn't too bad. I mean, because we work with Unity, it's quite easy to port overall. Mm. I mean, you still have to implement the different saving or whatever, but um with playstation you have trophies and saving are the big like platform specific things but yeah. then on switch you don't have trophies so we added our own system in which was another whole mission but yeah, yeah. we um <laughs> you don't have to like deal with their system side stuff so it's only saving and um the saving was quite similar to ps4 i think and All so right. yep. it's just you swap out some things i mean it's not going to work instantly but um yeah I think from having experience doing other consoles I think consoles are definitely more complicated than a PC with a PC a lot of that stuff is it's like a lot more freeform but the consoles have a lot of rules around those kind of things because they have a certain like standard that you have to like pass and that kind of stuff yeah a lot mm. of rules that you can't break <laughs> and yeah. Nintendo would get to work with as well they're pretty yeah yeah yeah. I, I think you, have to, you have to pitch them your game essentially but it helped that we had already released on on Playstation so they knew that you know we can follow yeah you know, nintendo has their own rules for the eShop, and so they were, they knew that we could follow those rules <laughs> and yeah put it out yes sony sony and playstation oh not sony and playstation uh playstation and nintendo would have similar sort of guidelines for their stores like they'll, they'll both have quality assurance and uh, make yeah, sure it, like the game's running and all that yeah it, i mean a, a lot a lot of it is quite similar um 
so yeah having experience with one definitely helps because you kind of know what to expect and i think what well, one thing we didn't really realize when we first did playstation stuff is just how long corresponding and accepting things and getting things back and like it takes quite a long time and we're, i mean we still have trouble with it now it's just like it just takes so long for things to get around and get accepted and um that that makes it just take a bit longer because we, we were hoping we'd get the game out quicker we were trying to get out in q1 last year oh, right, for, yeah. um, for ps4 and vita and we ended up just in america hitting march 31st um <laughs> just <laughs> that was on on vita only yeah and then on ps4 yeah. ps4 came a bit later we were aiming for yeah. january i think um or like late january or early february and then it yeah. took like a month to qa because i don't know it failed for some small issue or whatever it was um and then it's like oh uh this might take too long <laughs> so yeah that was pretty rough i think i uploaded the final ps4 build on the morning of my wedding yeah that's right um, <laughs> oh god and then sort of had to i was down in queenstown on honeymoon and then had to i called my sister you know there were some things that needed doing on um on the developer playstation developer site so i had to get her to like go onto the computer and you know because it's, it's an all, ip address <laughs> yeah yeah so it had to be my home ip so i had to call oh, my okay. sister and get yeah. her to sort some things out and um right. yeah but nintendo's definitely they're um easy. even easy i think they want to be easy to work with and they're quite prompt um doing it's, things and they're quite detailed in their I responses think, yep i think the website's a bit more modern like the interfaces are a bit more modern yeah, compared to playstation as well because <laughs> hmm. I, I think playstation stuff's you know i think because nintendo stuff is they only really started making it easier for developers recently yeah um, where it was really, i think it's quite hard to get onto wii u and wii and that kind of stuff but then it's been getting easier i think they have new like new ways to submit all that stuff so it, it feels i mean i didn't actually do a bunch of the ps4 submission stuff but i've been doing nintendo stuff and it's it's felt a bit easier from what i heard from daniel where he was doing a lot of like forms that that seemed like it would take it just be kind of annoying to fill out hmm. yeah they sony systems used to be quite old i think they're just rolling out a bunch of new ones yeah um but one example was when we were looking to patch our, our vita the vita game um basically no one from new zealand had ever done it before and so <laughs> our time zone broke their website like wow. <laughs> well, I didn't break. I broke the form, so okay. I couldn't submit the form. Oh. Um, I don't know how or why, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so after a bit of going back and forth, you know, they just told me, "Ah, oh, oh, it's the time zone. Can you please set your time zone to London, <laughs> and then restart your browser, and oh, then no. give that a go." But, just one uh, of those coding things, I guess. Just something so, for some somehow. reason just does not like it. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> you guys added a, a bunch of new stuff to the switch version like you've upgraded the art you've you know, you've put in your own achievement system in the game uh what what was some what was it like sort of adding stuff to the game once you've already finished it on other platforms and adding more for it for the switch version it's really good it's really satisfying mm-hmm. because it's like a director's cut almost yep. you get a second chance to go back and be like ah oh, i didn't quite like this aspect or oh, i wish we had had this aspect so i mean one one aspect was the item quick select wheel i don't know if you use yeah. that some people use it um but we couldn't actually have that on the vita because they don't have another set of shoulder yeah. buttons <laughs> so that was a good one to be able to do and go back and fix up some of my terrible sprites and add more lines of dialogue um, yeah, th- I think that the quick is probably the biggest request we had, where it's like the inventory felt a bit clunky, and so having a way to quickly select things 
it, it wasn't something that we instantly thought of because when you think of those old games they didn't have something like this we were like oh we'll just do it how they did it but then you release the game and you instantly get like so much feedback and you're like okay mm. well we should probably add something like that but then adding other elements to the world and stuff was um it's, it's really it's really good to have those extra, extra things it kind of like fills it out a bit more as well especially we added a bunch more like dialogue lines as well just like flavor texts we loved adding those little jokes and everything <laughs> yeah were some of these things like little nitpicks like once you release the game on the playstation you're thinking oh i wish we could just change this but we just didn't have enough time but when, when you guys decided to roll around and do the switch version you're like all right this is the chance to put it in and like give give a new people a, a, a i guess a, a more full experience like a, a little bit more on the game yeah like a little bit extra a little bit more incentive to get the new version rather than just maybe get the old version yeah it's I think getting feedback from people over the course of the year after releasing on PlayStation also gave us a few more ideas. Yeah. Definitely dialogue was, you know, people said, you know, because on the PlayStation version, they just say the same line, exactly the same line, no matter how many times you talk to them. But on Switch, they might have two or three lines. Hmm. Um, And so, yeah, that was one of, that was an aspect that people wanted changed, but we that wasn't something that we thought about putting in beforehand but um yeah we just found out essentially after the fact that a lot of people would have preferred uh, a bit more variety in the dialogue and certainly the trophy system um, obviously nintendo doesn't have a trophy system like playstation does um, but if we launched on switch without without a trophy system it feels like it would be it's like it's been removed you know it's like less yeah. content essentially mm, yeah because we have a lot of yeah jokes i know you guys are big that. fans of a of a trophy system so yeah um <laughs> when i when i saw that was uh implemented i thought that was uh like really really smart because you you, you were saying how uh on, on playstation like a, a lot of people were going for the platinum trophy mm-hmm. because it, it was it was obtainable and it was fun to do and I just want to ask you because you guys reached out to uh, Greg Miller to sort of do the trophy consulting. For those that don't know, Greg Miller's a, a, a big PlayStation fan. At kind of funny, and he he's he's always complaining that developers are not implementing trophies in the right way. Um, so, what was it like, sort of going back and forth with with him, trying to uh, make sure the achievements and that were uh, right for the game? It was pretty easy um, because. I think we we all kind of know what a good trophy list is already. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of just like wrote the list. Uh, we kind of like you know just took some out and put some t- took some out, put some in kind of thing. Um, obviously, Greg's a busy man, so we didn't. It wasn't like lots and lots of back and forth. It was just like, hey, Greg, do you want to join help us with your list? I know you just said so when you're kind of funny game daily show. So he was like, yeah, yeah sure, send me the list. So we're like, okay, and we just like sent him. I think it was a Google Doc or something. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And then, like a day or two later, he just went back saying that looks perfect, and that was about it. So, <laughs> <Not sure. laughs> yeah. yeah, as long as there's no missables, it was nice um, and easy. Yeah, yeah. He asked, yeah. The, he did ask a couple of questions, like, like, is there, is there any missable trophies? Is there something that I have to grind for? It's like, no, nah, none of that. So he was like, all right, yep, easy, mm. and that was it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was I, like, there's been a couple of developers I've been talking to, and they mentioned that since the Switch doesn't have an achievement system, it's actually easier to get their game on the system compared to the other system. There's like a like a less less step to uh, yeah. get your game on there. Um, do, do you find it as a, I guess not a positive, but is it a is it not such a bad thing 
that the tenant doesn't have the online system or would you personally like to see it on there? I'd like to see it. <laughs> Jared's yeah. a big, tro- big trophy man, so yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I wouldn't mind. Jared's that. big into his trophies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I don't mind either way, personally. Um, from a developer point of view, it I definitely think... makes it easier. Yeah, it makes it easier. But on the other hand, the trophies are an opportunity to, you know, make more jokes. Basically, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we we put in a lot of jokes and references into our trophies, yeah. um, and I think players appreciate players appreciate it and have told us that they appreciate it and they even just thought it was funny just reading down the trophy list on its own and so yeah we, we made the specific decision to implement our own system hmm. um, which but... is more work theoretically like if, if you don't put any achievements at all it is easy to put on switch but coming from playstation which already had trophies we wanted to keep them in and, and it's, it's kind of odd that the switch doesn't have any kind of achievement system because I mean, pretty much every other platform does. Even PC with Steam having, you know, yeah, even iOS has it. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, so when you make a game, so they are optional on those two. Yeah, yeah. But okay. if if, if yeah. you're going multi-platform, generally you're going to have to do trophies or achievements or something. So mm. usually it's it's unless you're doing Switch exclusive, then yeah, you'd you'd be ignoring it, and then it would make it easier because yeah, it, in terms of the, the specific system side stuff, it's usually saving and trophies are the two things which are different for every console and since switch doesn't have one of those it's just saving which does make it a bit easier when developing for it yeah yeah but like ha- having achievements and trophies it just helps you um want 100 percent the game so you, like that's how i feel that's how I like, feel. <laughs> yeah you finish the game and a lot of people will be like all right i'm done but if you want the trophies you'll go and collect every bit in the overworld and you'll go and talk to all the npcs and do the side quests and whatever you have to do to get these trophies and i'd, I'd love to see it come to switch uh, i think that opportunity is sort of long gone i think nintendo's definitely shown they're not yeah. interested at all for whatever reason i think they're a bit silly to sort of let that pass them by i think they're just they're too stubborn they're like that's what the other guys are doing we're not going to do it like, yeah, I think it's part of their philosophy, you know, like they're not wanting to tell players how to play their game and yeah. all that sort of stuff. I mean, that's it's it's a valid um it's a valid reason. Uh, I think from the PlayStation point of view, it's a big exp- it's a big incentive to play the game. Mm. Um, you know, a well-made trophy list where you get the platinum. I mean, I think for like you see some bad trophy lists and they've got, you know, under half of percent of players getting even close to the platinum. Um yeah. so, so sometimes they're unfair, especially when they're I feel I feel like having any trophy required for the platinum that's online required is is a big annoyance for a lot of people because yeah, especially on, a yeah. big thing on the Vita is servers go down a lot and so like wipeout just got removed and like and you just can't get the platinum and it's just like gone forever essentially so yeah especially yeah. like back in the past three days when they were doing like really tacked on bad multiplayer uh, modes in their games yeah. like stuff oh, like classic. Tomb Raider <laughs> Tomb Raider where it's like hey uh, this is a great game. Um, but the tro- we've got heaps of trophies online, and you're never going to want to play online because it sucks. Yeah, Uncharted as well had that. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, I, Uncharted wasn't so bad. In Uncharted, oh, they, they did it separate, actually, though, didn't they? Well, because Uncharted one didn't actually have trophies until they patched them in, and mm. the thing that all the Uncharted games do, which is actually smarter, which they add the trophies as DLC trophies. Yeah, so that's good. Yeah, the the multiplayer ones, so that that's so that you don't they're not required for the platinum, and I think because they're first party, they understand the trophy system a bit more. Um, than some other people do because a lot of third parties will just be like uh, actually this is kind of weird because Killzone made by Gorilla also first party they had one where you have to be like top 10 online in a week yeah, to get a trophy and it's like why would I'm like never going to get that it's like people don't have time for that eh? like 
Yeah, it's, it's it's annoying. I mean, that's that's another. I mean, going in, going into time, what you're asking about before in terms of making Reverie sort of short and sweet, like you know, we talk to a lot of people in the games industry, outside of the games industry, and like no one has time, or not many, not as many people have time, um, especially in our age group and above, to just put eighty hours into a game in like no. two weeks. It just, it's just can't. It's just not practical. And so I yeah. guess, especially if you're an yeah. indie game, you don't want to try and compete with like Red Dead you don't want to be like oh we're also that time yeah yeah that's like yeah. that's a battle that <laughs> you always lose trying to compete with those sorts of you know big experiences or like persona 5 you know like that game justifies 100 hours but um you know nice. they have the budget to justify 100 hours as well yeah so it was just making it was you know taking our budget and then you know not trying to stretch out the fun just trying to keep it consistently fun and fresh and you know hope that people finish the game and and they do i think over half of the players who bought it on playstation have have platinumed it let oh, alone wow. finished awesome. it mm. I, I, it's, it's maybe close to half if not more yeah well i think an interesting thing especially with games journalists is it does seem that they would much rather appreciate a game that's short as well like maybe not all of gamers because maybe you want to buy a game and make it last 50 hours but a lot of games journalists would prefer a shorter game to be able to play it review it and get the whole experience without feeling like they've missed out and as an indie it's definitely easier to hit that shorter time because um, if you just add the add grind for like no reason I feel like that's it's not like helping the experience you're, you're making people feel like they've got more money like more um, worth out of their money but not really yeah like a, a lot of people I guess if you're buying a I guess $80 AAA game here uh, you, you'll probably want it to last probably 30 to 50 hours to sort of to, to keep you entertained in that but you guys you guys are charging about 20 Australian or twenty something Australian, yeah, and I think it, it might even be might even be less to be honest. Was that? I think I'll switch. It's like twenty. I think. 20 oh, is it twenty Australian? It was okay. twenty. It was twenty two fifty on Vita. I remember back last year. So, oh, we we dropped the price marginally in in uh, European regions, including Australia and New Zealand, after launch because it, it was too high. <laughs> we accidentally because um, nice America forms. doesn't have consumption tax, but oh, okay. Europe does have consumption tax, and so just the way that affected the pricing you know added it on top and so we um yeah we actually cut it down a bit so but yeah around 20 20 australian i think it's 12.99 in the u.s okay yeah. wow uh, yeah. so yeah it's even yeah. cheaper than i thought that's awesome well wow. <laughs> basically we just decided we have to be cheaper than ocean horn okay and yeah. and blossom tails yeah and they're they're, they're they're about that 20 dollar mark here too yeah yeah, yeah or, think... or trying to at least be on par because I mean you see some indie games and they, they release it fast like 40 NZ or 30 something NZ and we feel like because of the, the time we spent and the time you get out of it we, we didn't think it was like worth that much um, but we, we also want to stay competitive it's the thing where if you go too cheap people think the game is like bad because you, cause you yeah. don't think it's worth the money but we, we think it is what, worth what we put up and so mm. you just got to be confident with that I guess yeah I guess if you like if you decide let's give away a bargain let's just be really good to our fan base and that and you put out a game and for ten dollars people look at it and go ah oh, yeah we have ten dollars worth of content whatever exactly but if they look at it and go oh it's a zelda like game and oh oh yeah it's oh, twenty dollars oh yeah that's must have a bit of content in it yes yeah, so they, and they, <laughs> they you might get more sales at twenty dollars than you would at ten dollars it's kind of it's really hard to know but it's, it's yeah it is hard to know but and also Blossom Tales is 20, 25 Australian I think from memory I could be wrong on that but I think it's around 25 and so yeah Blossom Tales maybe an hour or two longer I think so yeah it's just kind of trying to compete 
mm. compete without selling yourself short. Yeah, that's yeah. all the market research we did, you know. Just just uh, quickly back on the, the trophy side of things, I feel like Nintendo are silly not to go for the achievements or the trophies because I feel like a lot of people would uh, still pick up the PlayStation version even if it doesn't have these bells and whistles you've implemented within the last year just for the trophies. And I think that's a, that's a big thing they're missing out on, having people sort of mm. loyal to their uh, platform if it if the games are multi uh, platform because I mean I I mean I don't actually have a Switch which is kind of sad but I'm planning on getting one soon but <laughs> the, I'm pretty sure Nintendo puts some forms of like achievement systems in their games right like with Mario Odyssey doesn't it track a lot of your stuff and it gives you like percentages and completion rates so it's like yeah it that's does, effectively yeah. it's like effectively a similar thing so it's not like they're against yeah and completion. and like Sm- Smash Brothers and Kid Icarus like the games from uh, Sakurai. He he like he seems to love his achievement system. So a lot of like his collection games, stuff, yeah, yeah, like they implement. Like Kid Icarus had just an upright, just normal achievement thing. So you got like a big list and like do this, do this, mm. yeah. So maybe uh, Sakurai should uh, get on that. Be for in charge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, also, a uh, second to last question. I just want to bring up the kind of funny game showcase. You guys were a part of that. Uh, Reverie was shown in that. I just want to know a little bit about sort of uh, just reaching out to Greg and getting involved in that. And did it have any positive influence on the game? Did you get any reception back from people finding out about it or uh, anything like that? On Twitter, when after the announcement came, it was since it was kind of it was kind of lumped in with a bunch of other um, similar titles, similar looking titles. It was kind of like a mixed reception between like all the games so there wasn't any like directed towards us um there was maybe a couple of tweets or something like that but it wasn't wasn't crazy amounts mm. um but we managed to kind of use that in a way for when we were sending out um sending out codes for the switch version we could be like here's a code for reverie as seen in the kind of funny game showcase and so then obviously people go oh it's, oh, it's actually it's important or it's not just some random indie setting as it was in the kind of funny game showcase so we can kind of mm. use that in a way Yep. Um, but it was definitely really cool, um, you know, getting getting in there, and we're super pleased uh, that we could. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, we, we just like we like being a part of the kind of funny stuff, if and when possible. Yeah, because at, le- at least uh, I listen to this stuff a lot, and so does Dollar. Yeah, so do I. Yeah. And Daniel probably less so, but you know, it's it's definitely a they're a cool bunch, and uh, it's it's it's, <laughs> yeah. it's cool to be a part of that kind of stuff. We ho- hope hopeful we can get in there next one as well with something. Yeah. Big yeah, they don't want to E three, aren't they? Yeah. So it seems like that, a lot of competition, that. but yeah, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we're pushing for that for sure. So Go for a future future unannounced title, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which might also be um, Tokyo Game Show as well. Ooh. Possibly for something we're, new. We're going to be in Tokyo on like a trip, and we're like we planned it around TGS so we could at least attend. But um, yeah, absolutely. I hope, hope, hope we can show if possible. Mm. Yeah. I'm moving to Japan in a month, and so these guys are coming to visit in September. And um, I might finally get to play Mother 3, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you learn Japanese and go to an older store and get the Game Boy Advance copy. I'll definitely be heading up the retro stores. I've, yeah. I've been to Japan twice before, and yeah, left a lot of room in the in the luggage. To, <laughs> I won't <laughs> to have bring, much room at all. I'll see. Mm. So, Daniel, if you're moving to Japan, how's that going to affect uh, sort of the team relationships and... Uh, like development on your next game well um it'll have an effect in terms of maybe time zones a little bit um but we already work separately on on reverie uh, because we live quite far apart auckland is you know 
I yep. guess maybe like Melbourne, massively spread out, and so I'm sort of centrally westy, and then you know Butler's way north and almost actually outside of the Auckland region, yeah, and then and I'm Jared also nearly is, outside the Auckland region the other way. <laughs> yeah, way east, like deep east, and so it's <laughs> we're all 40, 40 minutes to an hour away from each other. Okay, yep. Um, and to save money, we didn't even rent an office; we just worked worked from where we lived. Oh. Um, so oh, it'll it, probably be a similar situation. It's just these guys will start work at nine, and I'll be starting work at five. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fair, fair enough. I like I sort of just assumed you would like if you're living in the same city, you would all uh, work together. But if yes, saving money, just working from your your home and using the internet, that's a that's yeah, probably the way to go about. There it. are there are shared spaces that we could be using, but that's also uh, like travelled costs for us and time mm. and. It's like uh, we just work from home. <laughs> the, the, the we way, did the way get to... together yeah. once a month, yeah, yeah, yeah. Once, once every month or two, and you know, for dungeons, we drew things out on paper together. Mm. Um, I actually have those documents here, <laughs> the paper drawings. And uh, guys, I'll just I'll finish up the show with a question: uh, If you guys could make a game from one Nintendo franchise, what would it be? <laughs> oh, that question is a good one, but. <laughs> It's just like too many options. It's like a buffet. Yeah, Probably I mean, Star Tropics 3 for me. <laughs> I guess most people would assume we'd pick Zelda or something, like a 2D Zelda, but I feel like I, I don't, I'm not really that keen to jump straight back into the same genre, so I don't even know what I want to pick, though. With Zelda, you have like the ex- like 30 years of fan expectations to yeah. live up to. Yeah. It'd be pretty <laughs> scary like so making a Zelda game, I would, I would imagine. Actually, the, the one I would pick, I want an F-Zero sequel, another one. So, we do a racing game. Brightchild. Yeah, definitely. Someone's going to make it. Nintendo won't, so... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, if Sarah's a good one. Yeah. I'd love to work on a Pokemon game. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Just switch it up, Butler. They've got the same formula for too long. I oh, know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. If Zero, if Zero sequel and another Pokemon one, we know for sure that's, that's getting coming, made. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then Star Tropics 3, which I don't think is ever coming out unless yeah. we have something to do with it but <laughs> hey, we're just having a yeah, I don't know if anyone cares about the franchise really I mean when was the last I, I one made? We'll, we'll make them care the last one made was Star Tropics 2 uh, I think it was like 1991 or 90- no it was it was like one of the it was the second to last NES game ever made oh, wow. oh really and well. it was it was only released in America so Star Tropics was never released in Japan hmm. either one or two. Oh wow so it was never on the Famicom. That's uh, that's yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. I think it was they wanted to make something specifically for Americans, like, and so the you know it's like a young American boy is the main character. He runs around with a yeah. baseball bat or something like that. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that was you know we put in the yo-yo sort of as a nod to Star Tropics there. Um, yeah, mm. but not many people pick up the Star Tropics reference. So what Giant Bomb picked up, I think, on the, um, the video. Did they? Yeah, it was it was yeah. mentioned it was mentioned once or once or twice. Mm. So it's nice seeing it because Star Tropics, yeah, believe me, it had ten times more influence on the game than <laughs> Earthbound did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So if anyone's going to write an article about uh, what anyone said on this podcast, probably that would be the quote to take. Star Tropics has had more influence on the game than <laughs> Earthbound. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's certainly that's, that's in terms of how it plays. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, please get that message out there. I'm sick of hearing about how it's an Earthbound clone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't blame you. That's, yeah, that's why I try and stay away from it. But I feel like that's a question a lot of people would have uh, liked to hear, like, 
here discussed. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, guys, thank you very much for joining me on the House of Murray this week. Plug away your Twitter, your social medias, the game itself, where everyone can find everything. Well, you can find Reverie Sweet Ass Edition on the Nintendo eShop uh, right now. And it's also just Reverie, the standard edition on PS4 and Vita. Um, it's also there uh, globally. Um, mm-hmm. You can follow us twitter.com slash rainbite or facebook.com slash rainbite, uh, either one. There's also at Jared Trail and at Butler Stomp on Twitter as well. But other than that, that's mm-hmm. pretty much everything. All right. Cool. And thank you very much for having us on. Yeah, thanks for having yeah, us thanks. on. Yeah, no, yeah. it was an absolute blast. I can't wait for people to hear this. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to listen through and uh, find out more about the game and hopefully uh, put some more people onto the game because it's a really fantastic title. I, I love uh, sort of people's take on sort of their own dungeons and puzzles and overworlds and the New Zealand aesthetic and theme is really awesome and I hope people get to experience it for themselves. Thanks very much, yeah. Thanks. I think the response so far has been quite good. Um, we actually saw our first sales figures last night, so we're not allowed to say yeah, what yeah. those numbers are, but <laughs> um, yeah, I think... I'm pretty sure I'm allowed to say that the first day of sales in... Well, I mean, uh, yeah, the first day of sales. <laughs> no, no, I, I can't say numbers. <laughs> we definitely can't say numbers. But the first, the first day of sales on Switch was equal to the first week on PS4. Oh wow, fantastic! Yeah. That's awesome. Congratulations, guys. That is, yeah, that's awesome. So bring on the next one. Bring on Reverie too. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. No. <laughs> <laughs> just, when you when you guys were talking about the talking about the sales, I was like, well, you sound pretty happy now. You're not like, oh god, hey girl, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it's just nice that at least someone bought it. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Uh, catch you later. Cool. Thank you very much. Cool. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to The House of Mario, episode 83. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe on podcast services and leave us a five-star rating. You can find me at iDruby on Twitter and the show at The House of Mario. And if you'd like to join our Discord community, there is a link in the show notes to be invited to that. And we are a part of the 8-Bit Collective. Over 20 Australian podcasts coming together to put awesome audio content in your ears. And until next week, have a good time.